chapter 1. Uh, excited about that. But uh, today is uh, we're doing a two-part series here in, on uh, spiritual warfare, and I titled this message, Stand Firm. Stand Firm, and you'll understand why as we go through this. Um, uh, as you know, our series is called Sit, Walk, Stand. You see it on the back screen there. The sit is who we are, seated with Christ. And we went through the first, I think, four chapters in Ephesians were all our identity in Christ, who we are, seated with Christ. The Bible says in heavenly places. And then we talked about walk. The last few weeks have been walking in the, with the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in our marriages and in our parenting. Last week, Brian brought with, in the workplace. So now we get to this last part about stand. And it's as if God is saying all these things, you, who you are in Christ and how you're to live it out, but now get ready because you're going to have some opposition. And we're going to be talking about what that opposition is like, where it comes from, how do we stand in the face of opposition. It's easy to stand when everything's going great, doesn't it? But what about when that day of evil comes, when things happen? Now, some churches, some Christians, they get all funky when you mention spiritual warfare. There's opposite ends of the spectrum. There's one whole group of people that are just, they're, they're too enamored with it, okay? They're looking for demons and everything, okay? And we're not that, okay? But there's another extreme where, oh, this stuff doesn't really exist, you know, there's a, there's, they just deny it all. We don't want to hear what a church says, okay? What does God say? And we know from His Word, the Bible, what does God say about this topic of spiritual warfare? How do we do battle? Who is our enemy? How do we take a stand? So that's what we're going to do today, and then we're going to worship at the end, and you'll understand again why we're going to do that here in a moment. So uh, first of all, when you hear the word spiritual warfare, just think about those two words. First of all, it's spiritual. means it's not physical, okay? We're not talking about physical battle, and it's it's, it's a spiritual, and it's a battle. There's an enemy against us, and we're going to go th- through that. I tried to come up with a, like a working definition of what I see it as, and you see up on the screen, spiritual warfare is an ongoing, it's not, it's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing war waged by Satan and his demons to gain influence or control of the minds and hearts of people. So that's what he tries to attack, is our minds, gives our thoughts. And if he can attack our minds, generally it gets into our heart. Our heart is where we make our decisions. That's where our will and our emotions are at. But it starts in our mind with our thoughts. And it's an ongoing war. And so as we talk about this, I want you to think about even that definition. Speaking of war, do you know how a, an octopus goes to war? Well-armed. You knew there was one coming somewhere, right? That's it for today. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, But in all seriousness, what is Satan's goal in spiritual warfare? Well, his goal is to keep us from glorifying God. Fulfilling, uh, he wants to keep us from fulfilling God's purposes with our lives if he can stop us, if he can cause us to quit, to not take a stand anymore, then he is, he's one in that situation. So now let's, you're in Ephesians 6, let's start in verse 10. Finally, and I think that finally there is because after all the other stuff we talked about, who we are in Christ, how we walk it out, he's saying finally now you've got to understand this is what happens. 
Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. It's in His power. It's not in our experiences, our education. It's not like we're going to have some self-help lesson that's going to help us. He wants us to stand strong in His power, His might. And that's what He's going to really be emphasizing to us is that it's Him, not us. We don't fear. We don't run and hide. But we want to be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, put on, so that that shows that we have a choice, okay? This isn't like God just does it for us. He's telling us, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, I emphasize that word stand, against the devil's schemes. So what is the schemes? The devil's schemes. It's really tactics. What are his tactics? What are his ploys against us? God wants us to take our stand against the devil's schemes. We're going to read about that in Ephesians three times. He's going to tell us to take a stand. I think that's really important. That's why I titled this message, Stand Firm. We don't want to cave. Cave to the culture. Cave to the world around us. We want to take a stand, but we want to do it in the right way. Remember, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He's likely chained to a Roman guard. And when he's talking about this full armor of God, he could be right now, as he's penning this book, this letter, he could be looking at a a Roman soldier, seeing his armor and thinking that there's something greater than the physical armor, and that's the Lord's armor. And next week, Pastor David Palmazano will be here. He'll be teaching us about the part two of this on spiritual warfare and also about the armor. What, those, what that armor is in our lives and so forth. So it could be why he was talking about the armor at this moment, trying to draw that correlation. Now, just remember this. Satan is not the opposite of God. He's a created being. He can't be all places at all time. Sometimes people say, you know, Satan's really been attacking me. Well, it's really not probably him. He's probably got, you know, somebody else that's bigger and more important than you. But he has his demons, the fallen angels that are, that are doing his dirty work, so to speak. And so when, you t- when you, we kind of talk about the devil's schemes, I mean, it's really the forces of evil that are, that are connected to him. It's probably not just him. Verse 12. Now, here, here's where it really starts to get more real to us. For our struggle, some of your versions say, we wrestle not against, Okay. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not physical. Sometimes we think that it's the physical that we're, we're fighting against. It's that annoying neighbor. It's that coworker. It's that person who was close to me, now they're against me, and they're saying all this bad stuff about me. It's my spouse. Not in my case, but maybe in yours. My My kids. My mother-in-law. No, it's not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. And so remember that. Our struggle is really not against flesh and blood, talking about this whole spiritual warfare, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. Or do we live in a dark world? Absolutely. Is it getting darker? That's why we need to shine brighter. We are in this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. 
heavenly realms. And in, in, in what we can't see, they're, they're spiritual. They're, they're, they're in the air around us. I've heard people say, and I, I believe it, that the spiritual world is more real than the physical world that we see. We're just not there right now. We just don't see it in the same way. We will someday. But there's a spiritual world around us. And I, when I read verse 12, I, and I've read a lot of different people write stuff about all these different principalities and powers that you, some of your versions will talk about, and they talk about the different ranks. It could be. It could be like, like the military. You know, there's a top, you know, commander-in-chief, and that's Satan, and then there's these different divisions and different rulers and powers and so forth. At this point, I really don't care. It's evil. It's against us. It's spiritual. Whatever it is, we just have to know how do we fight the battle, or who do we let fight our battle. That's even more important as we get into this. So remember, our struggle is not against uh, these, these flesh and blood. So here's our first point if you're taking notes. Don't fight spiritual problems with physical solutions. Oftentimes, this is what people do. They run into some physical, uh, excuse me, a spiritual problem. They don't, may not even recognize it's spiritual. Because you know how the spiritual problems start? They start with us seeing something, experiencing something. We go through something in our life, and then all of a sudden, it, it starts into a spiritual thing, a thought. Uh, 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 something that gets into our head, and, and pretty soon it starts to negatively affect it. And then people want, they don't, if you don't recognize it as spiritual, then you try to fight it, respond to it in a physical way. I, I'll give you an example. People go through some traumatic thing, some difficult situation, and then they want to self-medicate. They want to like use drugs and alcohol in a way to abuse it in their body, to try to bring them peace and so forth. That's trying to use something physical for something that's a spiritual problem. And there's many things that people do. Some people don't do that. They use anger. They use revenge. How dare they? I'm going to get back at them. Wait till I write what I write online about them. Okay? Physical. But maybe there was something spiritual. We have to know how do we fight our spiritual battles, not our physical battles. So this is what, as we're going to go into this a little bit more, we're going to see. And uh, so re remember, the battle is not necessarily against those people that we're dealing with, the flesh and blood. Although it's easy to go there because those are the, what we see. They're the, there's, so let's talk for a moment about... Uh, Satan's main weapons against us. We, we should understand our enemy. How does he, what is his weapons? It's always important if you have an, uh, uh, a battle, you, you, under, you size up, you know your opponent. What, what do they have? What do they bring to the table, so to speak, for weapons? So here are Satan's, and when I say Satan, it's really the, the demonic evil forces. Their main weapons against us are, number one, the enticements to disobey God. Another word for that is temptations. They, they make things very attractive, very appealing, very pleasurable to try to entice us to sin, to disobey God, to go against God. That's, that's one of them, the enticements to disobey God. But then here's another big one. And this is one we understand probably a lot more about the number one there, the uh, enticements to disobey. But what we don't always understand is what about the lying part? What about Satan lie? We don't recognize it sometimes as lies, but he accuses us. You know, that might sound like, 
you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. It could be deceives us, wraps a, a t- takes a truth and puts a little bit of a lie around it to no longer make it a, a truth, distorts things, intimidates us, and condemns us. And so these are the, the weapons that he used against us. And then you see the next part on the screen is sin's slippery slope. Say that ten times. Sin's slippery slope. And I'm not talking about sinners. I'm not talking about people here. I'm just talking about what he does for, to try to disarm us against, with these lies. First of all, you see this word tolerate. We know like there's to, you just need to be tolerant. Okay, you need to be tolerant. And again, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the sin. You just tolerate. So that way, then you can eventually accept it. And once you accept it, then the next goal is that you actually approve of it. You went from like, I don't want anything to do with this to now I'm approving of it. And the goal doesn't stop there when you approve it, because then the next goal is to participate in it. And when you know it's going full circle is when it gets to the point where you celebrate it now. Do we see people celebrating sin? Yeah, because they've gone down this slope. And you know what? It doesn't stop with one particular sin. We could all pick a sin right now, and usually we pick sins that we don't commit, okay? Um, I've heard, you've probably heard it before, you know, that you, you, uh, you love the sinner and you hate the sin. But somebody else said it one time better, and I like this one better. He says, love the sinner and hate your own sin. Because we're always easy to point at somebody else's sin. But you've got to understand, this is, what, this is a slope that Satan wants to take all of us down. Okay? It's to get us to that point. So this is his plot. This is his schemes against us. Well, let's keep going. Verse 13. Therefore, it's because of all this stuff that we've talked about so far, our struggle and putting on the armor. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Second time he's told us that, so that's important. So that when the day of evil comes... Not if it will come. The day of evil will come. For some of you, you are living in it right now. You've had the day of evil hit you this week. Some of you, it's been a year-long day of evil, a year of evil, so to speak. But it will come. But when it comes, God's given us some direction here. He said, if you put on that full armor of God, that when, excuse me, when the evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. Second time he's telling us that. Take your stand. Stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. I would say he doesn't want us to cave, does he? And what's so sad, this is one of the saddest things for us as pastors, is when we see somebody who's been walking with Christ and loving the Lord and doing something, and then some tragedy happens. The day of evil has come. And they deconstruct their faith. I no longer want to follow Jesus. I'm no longer going to even believe this stuff. I'm going to throw it all away. That's that's the saddest stuff for us. Because we know Satan has gotten in there and deceived them to a point now where they're no longer taking their stand. They've given up. They've quit. And we all are going to face these days of evil. I want you to think about this for a moment. As Christ followers, why do we suffer bad things? We all do. You would think as Christians, we should be immune from it, right? We're not. Why do bad things happen? I have a few possible reasons why on the screen. Number one is it's a consequence of wrong action. If you leave here, you go 
buy a six-pack on the way home, you, you're driving drunk, and you hit someone, and you're arrested, and, and you're put in jail, and you got a DUI now, and maybe a, even worse, you know. You can't blame that on God. It's a consequence of a wrong action. But also, you could be driving home tonight, and somebody hits you that was drunk. It's a consequence of their wrong action. So it can be the consequence of wrong actions, ours or someone else's. Because we know what God given us, free will. We have a gift. It's called free will. And sometimes people say, well, why doesn't God just wipe away all the evil? Wouldn't you like that? God wipe away all the evil? Well, who would be left? <laughs> None of us. I wouldn't be. We all. The Bible says that we're, we all got a level of evil in us. We have a sinful heart. He's merciful, though. He's given us a choice, the free will, and then he's given us his word on how to live things out. But we're still affected by it. So that's one of them. The number two is that the earth is still under the curse of sin. Even though Jesus broke the curse over our individual lives by going to the cross, we still have the earth that's been affected by it. There is suffering. There is things like cancer. But By the way, ladies, is there still pain at childbirth? Yeah, I don't, never experienced that, so I don't know. But that's a part of the curse, okay? What about, the, is it still hard to work? Is there still going to be weeds in your yard and your garden? Part of the curse. Sweat of your brow. Lately, it's been a lot of sweat on your brow working, right? It's a part of the curse. But number three, and this is where it gets a little harder, sometimes the Lord will allow certain things. He didn't cause it, but he will allow it our growth. This is the hardest part of it. I'll just share this from my own personal life. I've been a pastor here for almost 22 years, and in that time, I've, I've been sued twice, lost both of the lawsuits, one from a, uh, a car accident by one of our teenage kids. One was related to a business partnership I was in in, in Iowa before I became in the ministry, and there was a bad situation happened with my partner. I got drugged into a lawsuit, lost them both. And that same business partner had investments with him, and I ended up, we lost our, 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 our savings through all that. And then it was 2011 when I, I had an abscess in my uh, left lower part of my lung, and, it, and I, all of a sudden it burst, and I, I was choking and drowning on my own blood. I coughed up a quart of blood in about 15 minutes. I was taken to the hospital. I didn't know if I was going to live. My kids were coming behind the ambulance thinking they're not going to see their dad anymore. You know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're not immune from it. But just that health issue, let me just say that, just that health issue. I stand before you today healthy and healed by God. But I'd say this. I'm a better pastor because I went through that. I'm a better Christ follower because I went through that. I have more compassion now for people that have health issues. Before that, I don't think I'd gone to the doctor in like 20 years. I was just like good and healthy. And then all of a sudden, something like that happens. Now all of a sudden, you have more compassion for people with health issues. Same thing with the financial thing we went through. I've got to depend more on God for, for the financial side of things. So God will allow these things in our lives sometimes to help us to grow. They can be disciplined. They're like faith lessons, tests for us. Remember, his goal isn't that we just have the happiest life here on earth. His goal is that we become more like Jesus. 
Did Jesus suffer? If he suffered and we're to be like him, okay, we're going to suffer. So those are some of the things. So sometimes when the day of evil comes, we start to really question all that kind of stuff. I want us to go a little uh, further into this by looking at some passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You'll see on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, okay, that's true, right? We're in the world, in the world system and so forth, but we do not wage war as the world does. Well, how does the world wage war? Well, you know, they're doing all kinds of stuff, you know, physical things, but also the hate speech. Today, the big one is cancel culture. You know, we're just going to cancel you if you don't agree with us. You know, that's the way the world wages war. But the Bible's saying, we live in the world, but we're not going to wage our war the way, same way. Verse, next verse, verse, uh, verse 4. It says, the weapons we fight with, so we do have weapons. I'm, I'm glad we have weapons, right? We have wep- the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That means divine is God's power. We have God's power to demolish strongholds. Some of you have been plagued by strongholds. I don't know what that stronghold is. It may be a strong addiction. There are many people that are into sexual sin bondages. There's many people that are under the strongholds of, in their mind. They're feeling always condemned, condemned. They're dealing with rejection, various insecurities. You know, not all depression is related to it. Some can be, you know, like a, a physical type thing, but some of it is emotional uh, related to uh, uh, these strongholds. Some of it is anxiety, fears, anger, all kinds of strongholds that people have. But we have divine power to demolish it think about demolition you knock it down you want to rebuild you want to start we have divine power in our weapons so what are our weapons there's three of them next week i think pastor david will get into two of them but let me just say there's the word of god there's prayer and there's worship today we're going to focus on worship Using the weapon of worship in the face of our spiritual battles. And I'll get into that in a little bit more. Let's go on, verse 5. It says, we demolish. So it's now saying, how do we demolish these things? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against, against who God is, against not just the knowledge of whether he exists or not, but what his word says. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's the part that people have trouble with, taking thoughts captive. How do I capture that thought? And I have just a little bit of a thing there on the bottom. When you have an unbiblical thought, and I'll, I'll make you aware in a moment what an example of that. An unbiblical thought, you have to capture it, you have to reject it, and you have to replace it. What do you replace it with? The Word of God. So I'll give you an example. You're going around your life, and all of a sudden this, this thought starts to come in that you're no good, that you'll never be able to, to live for God in the way he wants you to, that you're just a defeated, I'll, I'll never 
be able to get victory over that sin. I just continue to sin over and over. I'm just no good. God, why did you even pick me? Maybe you didn't pick me. Maybe I'm not even saved. This, this thought comes, okay? That's the type of thought you have to capture and say, is that, is that a biblical thought? No. You capture it, you reject it. I'm not going there. And what do you replace it with? Romans 8.1 says, now therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You either believe that or you don't believe it. And you can do that with all these different thoughts that you have. You have to have the Word of God to be able to replace with those thoughts. And you have to know, first of all, if this is even an unbiblical thought. I'll give you an example. First of all, these thoughts. You know there's a difference between your brain and your mind. A surgeon could do surgery on your brain. They cannot do surgery on your mind. Your mind is the immaterial part. Your brain is the material part. But all of us, like my little garage funnel here, we have this thing connected to our, our mind. And these thoughts come in, all kinds of thoughts. We, we see something. We see something. We're on social media, and we see some of our friends. They just got together. Oh, they didn't invite us. All of a sudden, that thought starts to go into that funnel. They must not like us. See if I ever invite them over. <laughs> and we start to meditate on these things. And it starts to stir us up and makes us angry. See, that thought went in. But here's what we need. We need a filter. This little screen filter goes into my funnel here. And this filter is to keep stuff out that shouldn't go in. We need this for our mind. We have to filter the thoughts. So when we see things, the thoughts, what do we come? Is that something that Satan is trying to like put that image into our mind and get us to lust over something? Well, you got to reject it. How do we have this filter? It's through the Word of God. We have to be in the Word to be able to capture those things and, and replace them. And I know more of that will come next week. Now, Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. Hannah and the worship uh, band today, she, she read part of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to go in there in a little more detail. This is in the Old Testament, not to be confused with Corinthians. It's Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, because we are now going to shift and talk about the weapon of worship, the weapon of worship. And while you're turning there, let me just give you some highlights of things where where worship was a, a weapon in spiritual battle. Think of Paul and Silas. They were locked in a, in a, in a prison. Who knows what was going to happen to them the next day? But they were there in prison for sharing the gospel. And there, about midnight, they were worshiping the Lord. They were singing. All the other inmates could hear them singing. And all of a sudden, the chains came down, the prison doors swung wide open. In other words, God was winning a battle in the spiritual sense and not the physical. You know, it manifests itself in the physical, but it's, it was through their worship. Uh, King Saul, he would be getting tormented at times by these, these demons. And he'd bring David as a young person. David would come before he was a king, and, and he would uh, play the instrument. And he would sing psalms. David would play his harp, and it said that that... That's the tormenting spirit would leave Saul. Joshua and the children of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. 
And they shouted as they blew their trumpets, as they worshiped the Lord and, the, and gave God the glory, and the walls fell down and the enemy was defeated. You can find this throughout the scripture. Well, we're going to see a prime example here. Second Chronicles chapter 20, let's start, verse 15. He said, listen, oh, let me just set the stage. Three nations were coming against the southern tribe of, of Israel called Judah, Okay. Three nations were coming against them. They were coming ready. They were way, um, Israel was way outmanned. You know, these, they, they were going to be defeated. And so uh, they were crying out to God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then a prophet of the Lord speaks to them in verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. So he had a word from God. Prophets have a word from God for the people. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, why did he have to say, do not be afraid or discouraged? Because they were afraid and discouraged. How do you get when the day of evil comes? When something bad happens in your life, do you get fearful, afraid? Do you get discouraged, lose your strength? Think about the word discouragement, loss of courage. Yes, it happens to all of us. I, I'm going through something just this week. Barb warned me. She said, man, you're going to teach on spiritual warfare. Who knows what's going to happen? Well, something happened this week. I'm not going to talk about it yet because I'm not on the victory side of it yet. But I'm going through something right now, and I'm having to put into practice what I'm teaching you. We don't know when it's going to happen, but the first reaction is discouragement. Or fear. Worst case scenarios start going in your mind. I'm probably one of the best ones at coming up with worst case scenarios. They never really happen, but boy, you can sure think them and it can lose your strength. But God said, God's saying to these people, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. In other words, it wasn't a little army, it was vast. The battle is not yours, but God. So here's our next point. Our enemies will use fear and discouragement to stop us. If you've been stopped in the past, I guarantee you it's probably been because of fear, discouragement. And then Satan wins. You can't quit. That's why you have to take your stand. Because that fear and discouragement, you know what that does to us spiritually? You can do it physically too, but it can paralyze us. See, whenever something bad happens, Satan is right there to translate that into something in our mind that makes God look bad that he's not there for you, or try to somehow make you feel like you're going down, you're going under. Don't let him. Verse 16, tomorrow, so now this prophet gives some very specific things. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeril. You will not have to fight this battle. So he's telling them again. Take up your positions, stand firm. That's where I come up with the title of this message, Stand Firm, because he's telling us again. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Yes, I warn. Tell them again, because they are. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So instead of afraid and discouraged, you know what he's saying? Stand and see. Why did he want him to actually go? God could have defeated the enemies without them even going. 
He wanted them to see. He wanted them to see the Lord rout their enemies. He wanted them to go through this. You know, he could have prevented those enemies from ever coming. He wanted them to go through it so that their faith could grow, so they become stronger in their dependence on God and realizing God's the one who fights the battles. That's what God's always looking for us as Christ followers. He wants to develop our faith, and he will use a variety of things. The main two ways I've found that God builds faith is through the Word of God and through trials. So here's what he's doing. He's telling them, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. So here's our next point. Stand firm, let the Lord fight our battle. Let the Lord fight our battle. Stand and see. Stand firm. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bound with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in what? In worship before the Lord. So important. You see the humility that they bowed down, they fell down, they worshiped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They were the Pentecostals of the group. Okay? Some of you have been taught, you know, oh, we don't, we're, not, we're not emotional in church. You know it's okay to be emotional in church? I like to have fun, throw a joke in. Why? Laughter is good medicine, okay? We can have fun in church. You know why? Because I grew up in a church, and probably some of you can relate to this. I grew up in a church where even if there was a soloist and they sang a wonderful song, no one clapped. You didn't show any emotion in church. You sat there very solemnly. You'd stand up at the right time. You'd sit down at the right time. And you'd look around, and you'd see the people. It looked like they'd all been drinking pickle juice. All sour looks on their face. Can any of you relate? Isn't it fun to have fun in church? We can do that. We can even get a little emotional sometimes. You know, the Bible has a lot to say in the Psalms about making a joyful noise to the Lord. Shout. Now, we do everything decently in order, so hold on, some of you. You're ready to head to the door, okay? We don't let anything go, okay? But these people were like, they were like worshiping the Lord with a very loud voice. I think this next point is probably the most important point. If you don't write anything else down, here's the one I really want you to get down deep, is that worship shifts the focus from our circumstances, whatever we're going through, and thanks God for who he is and what he does. It's a shift of focus. Because so often we can be so focused on ourselves, even in our prayers sometimes we can be so focused on ourselves that our prayers really have become much more of a, a complaint list. But when you worship, you're just worshiping God for who he is and what he does. And you're shifting it from what you're going through right now, that circumstance, that bad thing. We're not making light of it. We're not even pretending it doesn't exist. But we're doing it. We're shifting it to, what is God? God, you're so great. You're wonderful. Verse 20. So we're going to see him put it into practice now. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. I think he has to tell them twice to have faith, because can you imagine what the group of people were marching out? They probably weren't marching like they were all, they're probably like shaking, like, do we really know what we're doing here? I mean, it's like, Jehoshaphat, I want to call him fatty for short, but... uh, Jehoshaphat's having to, no, have faith, have faith, have faith, because they were like, they were a nervous wreck, but they're doing it, they're going. He says, you will be successful, verse 21, 
After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. So he puts the praise team in front of the army. Very different. He puts them up there. And look what they're doing. They're not like, oh, God, defeat the enemy, defeat the enemy, oh, God, defeat the enemy. No, what are they doing? They're praising God for the splendor of his holiness, who he is. They're thanking him for his goodness, that he's faithful. They're truly worshiping the Lord as they're going into to, to, uh, that battle. And I love verse 22. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, of Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The people of Israel did not have to swing one single sword. And many times we think it's all up to us. We just have to be obedient. In a moment, we're going to worship. I'm going to invite the worship band to come on out. We're going to worship, and we are going to see the enemy defeated right here today. Most of the time when we teach you a lesson, you have to put it into practice later on in the week, maybe on your way home. We get to put it into practice right now because some of you are going through some big battles right now, and we're going to worship, and we're going to let the Lord defeat the enemy. We are going to shift from our circumstance to God. So I ask you, what battle are you facing right now? You know, you have to answer that out loud, but you know whether you're facing a battle or not. Who do you want to, who do you want to fight your battle, you or God? Boy, that was pathetic. <laughs> who do you want to fight your battle? God. That sounds more like an army going out to battle, right? We want God to fight our battle. But I want you to understand something. The scripture says in Colossians, I think it's chapter 2, that when Jesus went to the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers of the enemy. He disarmed them. And you might be saying, well, why does he have any power? The only power he can have is the power you give him. Because you're a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, he still has control over you. He still has power over you. And so if you're not a Christ follower, if you've not committed your life to Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. Even while we're worshiping today, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Christ. Or we can pray with you at the end of the service. See, it's not about joining a church. It's not about a religion. It's about you saying, God, you're my creator. My sins have kept me from a relationship with you, but Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price for my sin. And so for, if that's you today, give your life to Jesus Christ. Then you can truly have the Lord fighting your battles you got to switch teams right now. you got the wrong jersey on. God wants you to be on his team, and he will fight his battles. Would you stand with me? And as we get ready to worship, remember in our story, the praise team went out front. And I've done this at the other services, and I'm going to do it here today. It's not something we normally do. But if you're going through an intense battle, it could be an addiction, it could be a marriage issue. It could be with a prodigal son or daughter. It could be with some tremendous health thing that you're going through, some, some battle you're going through. 
If you're going through a big battle right now, there's something about taking a step of faith and showing God, I'm extra serious about this. I'm going to encourage you guys to come to the front and worship. We're not going to come lay hands on you. We're not going to pray over you. We're not going to ask you anything. But if you really, in that situation, I want you to come down front. Now we're going to be worshiping for two songs. Some of you might be tempted like, oh man, I can get out of church a little early right now. You don't want to do that. This is the most important part of the service, what we're about to do. This is where the enemy's chains will be broken off of people's lives. This is where minds can get cleared and clear of these things. So I just want to encourage you, as we begin to worship, both services, we had people filling this area up front. And again, this is just to say, I'm extra serious in my, Lord, you fight this battle for me. Amen? Worship team. This is what freedom feels like. 
praise to our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going we're gonna to close our time in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, the encouragement that you give to us, that you want to fight our battles, that the battle does not belong to us. So we shift it to you. We keep our eyes on you. We worship you. And Lord, we are so thankful that you're our God. You're our Father. You're our King. Lord, we put more of our confidence in you than any political leader because you are truly the King of Kings. Our eyes are on you, Lord God, that you can defeat our enemies. Help us, Lord. And for those who do not know you yet as Lord and Savior, I pray that they will not leave this building today until they have given their life over to you, that you will make it so clear that they need to be in a relationship with you, that they can't put this off any longer. There's no guarantees for tomorrow. We thank you, and we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Just as I get ready to just, yeah, just as I get ready to dismiss, um, we'll have our prayer team up here in a moment where they can pray for specific needs. If you want to give your life to Christ, they're going to be up here. Uh, remember, if you are, oh, by the way, if you're new, this isn't a normal service. <laughs> but we are glad that you're here. We'd love to meet you out in our commons. We have a big ring out there. Uh, it's new to Calvary. We have a pastor and volunteers that will be out there. Glad to answer questions you have about the church. Just give you some information about the church. And uh, as you exit, just a reminder of our, the offering boxes are by the doors for your giving. It's another way we worship. It's through our giving. So thank you for your generous giving here. God bless you.